Uh, before we get rolling on the sermon, uh, one little bit of housekeeping. Gerald Lane has been making coffee since, was Tamichi a dirt road back then? Anyway, he needs a break. So if someone is interested in preparing the coffee before the service, please see Gerald. Stand up, Gerald. That's how tired he is. Well, it's, yep, and it's time for a changing of the guard, uh, which is one of the things I really am loving about this season in our church. This is our church. We got to step up, we got to do the do's, and uh, I'm watching it happen. It warms my heart, and I'm sure it pleases the Lord. So let's pray. Fathers, we look into your word this morning. We ask that your spirit would come and touch every heart. Show them, tell them what they need to know. Teach us more about yourself, our position with you, and the great possession that we have of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this is, But for the Grace of God. Now, in the 1800s, there was an evangelist, an American evangelist. His name was Dwight L. Moody. You ever heard of him? Great man of God. He was, he was a powerful tool to bring revival to the United States. Uh, one day, he was walking down the street with a bunch of church leaders. And they walked by this drunk guy, passed out in the dirt. Unconscious, horse manure on him, puke, who knows whatever else. And one of the church leaders nudged him and said, look at that. To which Dwight L. Moody said, but for the grace of God, there lay I. I'm sure this word was said before that. But since that time, I know it has been said thousands upon thousands of times. I've said it. I've heard others say it. I've lived it. You see, without the grace of God, I am nothing. Grace is unmerited favor. It's being given a totally undeserved position from a friend, from a spouse, from a judge, from a king, but most of all from God. Now there is a notion in the Christian world that uh, God has got this big scale that he's holding up. And all the good things I do go on this side, and all the bad things I do go on this side. And however that thing tilts, that's my position with God. Ever heard of that? Well, it's not God, it's Lady Justice. And she's not God, and she's blindfolded. So, when my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm in good favor with God, according to that notion. When my bad deeds outweigh my good, I am out of the loop, 
Whichever side is greatest, that's what we get. Christianity isn't alone in this myth. It's found in every religion I have ever studied in some form or another. You got to do good. You got to do good. You got to do this. You got to do that. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that this myth is a lie. There is nothing in the Bible that even hints that my deeds, good or bad, affect my position with God. My acceptance with God is not now, nor has it ever been, based on my performance. It is totally based on the performance and the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, our scripture today is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I memorized this scripture as a youth. I have never forgotten it. And you know what? I have put this scripture to, to, to the test every day of my life. I lost two of my brothers this spring. I'm the second of seven. Number one and number three went on to be with the Lord. Without going into any detail about their lives or the way they parented or the way they managed their finances or anything else, I can say that the way they lived their lives wasn't the way I would have done it. I never had a single doubt about their salvation, their standing with the Lord. They, like myself and all of my siblings, turned our lives over to Jesus Christ as Savior at the age of somewhere between eight and nine. There was a a task that my dad's parents took on themselves that all of their kids would go to camp, grandkids, go to Camp Elam and have the opportunity to get saved. And every one of us, cousins included, received the Lord at that, at that Bible camp. It's near Woodland Park if you want to send your grandkids there. So when my brothers passed, I got to thinking, you know, what's going on with them? Some of the stuff they did was not mm, what I'd approve of. And how's this all going to shake out? Well, these thoughts were all answered in this scripture, Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved. By the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Now, I have said myself, and I have heard others say, when something rank enters into our life, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. Ever said that? One. One has. (laughs) Many. We've all said that. This, I don't deserve this. Then there are times when I have had a taste of what I deserved. And I didn't like it at all. 
I would far rather have what God is passing out, grace, than what I deserve. The truth is, I don't want what I deserve. Nobody does. But we all want grace. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler. You need grace. Grace is the means by which we get saved. Some people don't like that word, saved. Too religious for them. So I'm going to change it up a little for you. Grace is the means by which we are spared. We're spared from what we deserve. None of us is exempt here. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalm 14.3 says, There is none who does good. No, not one. But by the undeserved grace of God, I am saved through faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Webster takes it a step further. He says in his definition of faith, it is complete acceptance of a truth which cannot be demonstrated or proved by the process of logical thought. That's what faith is. Grace doesn't make sense to me. Faith doesn't make sense to me. It's not the way I would have done it. And yet there it is. The perfect grace of God. The unfathomable, everlasting, bigger than the universe grace of God to each and every one who has ever been conceived in God's love. God's love. That's the reason He extended grace to us in the first place. Because He loves us. I have learned so much about the love of God from having grandchildren. I have 16 of them. There isn't a one that I would do without. Matter of fact, I can love more than this. Bring them on. To which my kids say, <laughs> No more. But here's the thing. Before my grandchildren were born, I was doing fine. I didn't need them. I still don't need them, truth be known. But from the moment they entered my mind, as soon as I had knowledge that they existed, I loved them. I loved them. They hadn't done a thing to deserve my love. Some of them still haven't. But I loved them to the point that I would give my life for them. Now let's talk about the love of God. As soon as you entered the mind of God, He loved you. He doesn't need you, never did, still doesn't need you, but He loved you 
as soon as he knew thought of your existence. There is nothing you have ever done or will ever do to deserve that kind of love. But I can tell you what. He loves you to the point of giving his life for you. And he has through Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves you. Now, where am I? Hell yeah. That's how the Most High sees every one of us, and His grace comes through faith. A faith that I don't understand. A faith I can't even really describe or give definition to. Faith, you are saved by faith, and that not of yourself. I am so thankful the Apostle Paul put this little phrase next. The word that, not of yourself. Does it mean the grace or does it mean the faith that's not of me? Well, I've read commentaries, I have studied this, and I am proud to report that the answer is yes. It means grace is not of you. It means faith is not of you. It comes from Him. It is a gift of God. Even the ability to believe in the grace that we call faith comes from God. Thank you, Lord. He knew how far short I would be of his glory. So he gave us the gift of grace. Now, a gift is under the total possession and total control of the giver. It's theirs to do with as they wish. Until they give it to another. Then the gift belongs to those who have received the gift. To do with as we wish. God has given us the free and clear title to His grace. Even the ability to believe it. To do with as we wish. Not of works, it says, lest anyone should boast. You cannot earn a gift. And it, it changes from the column of being a gift to being a wage or a payment. It's something deserved then. A true gift can only be accepted. It can only be received. So let's look at the big picture here. Our salvation originated in the mind of God. It was His idea, not ours. God put everything in motion from the beginning of time to set our salvation, in, uh, set it up for our salvation. And by the obedience of Jesus Christ, every requirement for my salvation has been met by His life, death, on the cross, and resurrection. Also, the Holy Spirit has entered into my heart and sealed me as a chosen possession of God. And since grace is grace, my performance does not have anything to do, any power to maintain my salvation. If it did... I wouldn't be a Christian very long. 
Nancy Houston told me a story this morning about this lady in their Bible study who, who says, oh yeah, we're saved by grace, we're, we're set up, our, our sins are forgiven until you blow it. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> and so Nancy and her friends would explain this whole thing to her again and, and she'd say, yeah, that's wonderful until you blow it. You ever had one of those mornings when you say, man, it's, uh, it's 10.40 in the morning right now and I haven't lust, fussed, or cussed yet. You have those mornings? I hope it lasts all day. But what about yesterday? What about the days when I don't even get out of bed before I've blown it somehow? Saying something wrong to my wife or whatever it is. My performance, if it really counts, I'm in trouble. I'm in a bad way. There will not be anyone in heaven who is able to say, I am here partly because of God's grace and partly because I cultivated myself into such goodness and holiness by overcoming huge obstacles and doing all the do's and none of the don'ts. You will not see that person in heaven. What that person is saying is, God, your grace was a pretty good start, but I had to add a little piety to it just to get me over the top. Now, I'm not advocating doing the don'ts <laughs> or not doing the do's. I'm not advocating that at all. I'm saying that God's plan, payment, maintenance of our salvation is complete. And it is perfect. If there was one sin not paid for, Jesus Christ could not have risen from the dead. Only one not paid for. I cannot add to my position with God. So, what about my efforts as a Christian to do good? Does that count for salvation? Nope. <laughs> Why do we do them? Well, verse 10 uh, gives us the answer to that. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. I know there's some craftsmen here in the group today. What is that? You fashion, you are fashioning something different out of what it was to start with. That's what we're, he's fashioning us for a purpose. It says we are created in Christ Jesus. Your eternal purpose is secured, but there's more than that. It says for good works. The Lord has stuff He wants us to partner with Him in this life and, I believe, in the next. Every time I do a, a hospital visit or a funeral or a wedding or I'm called to some task that the Lord has assigned me to do, I always say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to represent you. And I'm not special. 
Let me tell you what, everyone under the sound of my voice has tasks, has uh, things that only you are suited to do for the kingdom of God. They're divine appointments. And whatever you're going through today is a fashioning for that day when you get to represent him. We're all on call. Every one of us is on call to represent the Lord when the time is needed. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He didn't save us for naught. There There are things that he needs from you. Let me rephrase that. There are things that he has set up for you to do for his glory. And you can pass, but you're the one who loses the blessing. We, us, are his workmanship. You know, the Ancient of Days hasn't saved anybody to be a trophy on his shelf. Not one. He doesn't retire any tools. He doesn't retire any of you. He's got plenty of trophies anyway, I'll bet you. The throne room is so shiny. He saved me for his glory, for his purpose, and he saved me because of his love. We don't serve to get points with God, to gain his favor. We serve out of a sense of gratitude for the great gift of his grace and faith that he has given each and every one of us. His unmerited favor. Now, D.L. Moody realized his position without the grace of God. He was a great man of God. Yet, he knew that without the grace of God, that was him laying down there in the manure. How can I ignore that grace? Without it, I'm nothing. The Lord always has a way of giving clarity whenever I'm pondering a sermon. And as I thought about my brothers, how that's not the way I would have done it, the Lord reminded me that they're doing just fine. His grace works for them just like it works for me. Isn't that awesome? And then I got a call from the past. Uh, Monday night, um, I didn't get to meet with him till Tuesday, but a guy that used to work for me, his name is Carl. Carl is a great carpenter. Carl is the brother of a pastor friend of mine. Carl is one of those go-the-extra-mile kind of guys. You need a shirt? If he's got one, you got it. If he has to stand there, bare shirt. He, the love and tenderness of the Lord just squirts out of him, no matter what, no matter what the situation. Uh, some really tough times would come up at work, and, and he'd say, well, praise you, Jesus, and just dig right in. And I'm saying, the other guys would look at him like... <laughs> Where did you get him? Well, along with that, Carl had a lot of baggage. 
he had been wounded severely in his heart throughout his life. And it was very frustrating because he'd worked for me for a year or nine months or whatever, and he'd get just to the point where these things were going to start opening up, and he could get some healing, and he'd vanish. He wouldn't even pick up his paycheck. He'd just be gone. Maybe a year later, and what's really a God thing is, when I really needed the help and couldn't find any, Carl just show up. Tool bag, sleeping bag, all his worldly possessions on his back, and work until he got that close to getting healed again, and he'd vanish again. He even sang in our praise group we had early on uh, in this church, 1999. At any rate, uh, he had a different kind of life. It's not the way I would have done it at all. He has been, he, got, he inherited $40,000 when his mother died. You know what he did with it? He went to the soup kitchen and just gave it to him. I wouldn't have done it that way. I'd have tithed, but I wouldn't have done it that way. His family and I, because he lived with a homeless in Grand Junction, would keep back and forth if there was a Carl sighting, we called it. You know, we saw Carl. He looks good. Didn't get to talk to him. You know, he, he took off in the bushes somewhere. But he called me up with a friend's cell phone of his, and he and his sidekick were passing through town. And we caught up on the last 18 years since I've seen him. I pulled into the parking lot at Safeway where that picnic table's in the shade, and there's Carl just beaming, squirting out the love of Jesus out of every pore. Got a little more gray hair. Got a lot more wrinkles. A few less teeth. But you, if you couldn't see him and you listened to him speak, you would think you were listening to Max Lucado or some other sold-out, loving, committed Christian, man of God. It's just the package just doesn't look right. But you know what? That package fits perfect to the people he ministers to. He has lived for 20 years, 20 winters, in the cold, in the ice, in a sleeping bag, with very dangerous, very disturbed, some mentally ill people. All of them with one thing in common. They are hurting. So when Carl says, I'm ministering to the homeless, some people might put a tag on right away. That's a dodge. You just don't want to get a job. (laughs) Not me. When he says, I am ministering to the homeless, that is exactly what he's doing. And he's doing it with all he's got. The grace of God is just as uh, it doesn't look as the same on him as it does on me or you. But it's just as effective. That same grace that saved me saved him. That same faith God put in me, he put in Carl. Just comes out a little different. That's not the way I would have done it. But it's not my call, is it?
because I'm not God. God is God. We can rest assured that God will do with each one of us a wonderful work, no matter how it looks like today. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God's grace that covers all of us. None of us has a cause to boast in our position or our works. All of us have a cause, though, to be grateful for the unmerited favor and the endless, never-ending love of God given freely to each one of us. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's pray. Father, may we realize and walk in this grace. We can't understand it. We can't describe it. But we'll take it. I pray that you'd help us each to apply this to our hearts and our lives and to those we pass each day from now until we see you face to face. In the name of Jesus. Amen.